Thank you, brother. My traveling logistics, I kind of lost track of where I was down in Miami and realized I couldn't be in North Carolina at 5.15 on Monday and be here Sunday night. I, I kind of let that one slip through the cracks. Thank you for understanding. Uh, I have been given liberty to get everything in in these five sessions, which means we'll just go a little bit past nine tonight, not a whole lot past nine, but just a little bit so we keep on trap, track with the subject material. We've been looking at God's world plan. Our first session dealt primarily with his future world plan, and in one word, it's destruction. When they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. And we looked at the reason why it's because of corruption or pollution, moral pollution, sin to a holy God will bring judgment and bring this present world as we know it to an end. But before we start to introduce you later in the evening to God's present world plan, we want to kind of, so to speak, look into this garbage bag, for it too is headed for destruction because of the pollution inside it. And in that sense, it's likened to our world. We want to look in as God views this world, not as the liberals view it, not as the conservatives view it, but how does God view this world? And if we view this world the same way God views it as Christians, it might help us understand some things, okay? So I want to take you to the little epistle of 1 John, right near Revelation. 1 John chapter 2. And we get God's worldview. So to speak, we're looking in the garbage bag at the depths of it and see what is this pollution that has angered God that causes His wrath to come upon it someday. And in the little epistle of 1 John, brothers and sisters and friends, the Lord makes seven negative statements about this world. Seven negative statements about this world, which gives us God's worldview. We just want to briefly look at those seven negative statements to see how God views the world. Sometimes we can get enamored with it, but how does God view it? Well, here we are in 1 John chapter 2, and I'd like to take you down to verse 15. 1 John 2 and verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So there's the commandment to love not the world. Now there's a reason why. Look at verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Statement number one about this world is at the end of verse 16. For all that is in the world is not of the Father. All that is in the world, it started out and it concluded, is not of the Father, but is of the world. So as you look at this world, all that is in the world is not of the Father. Now what does that mean? Does that mean green grass is not of God? Does that mean a beautiful red rose or your beautiful ocean? is not of God? In context, it tells you what it means, how it thinks, its system, how it operates. Look again at verse 16. It says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, that's the desires of your body, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, the advancement of man, uh, that man is something, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, to see what this means, we must read the next verse. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, 
but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. What is not of the Father is not necessarily his creation, but the thinking, the, the, the mindset of the world, that it operates by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And that's not of the Father, it's of the world. In contrast to the will of God, verse 17, he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You see, just because, it's something sinful just because it satisfies your body. A good hamburger or a good steak will satisfy your body's appetite. Is that sinful? Looking at a beautiful rose garden appeals to your eye. Is that sinful? If you get a promotion at work for doing your job honestly, that's advancement. Is that the pride of life? Is that sinful? What it, when it will be sinful is when those things will motivate you and govern your thinking and decisions when it's not the will of God. Rather, you'll go by, well, it feels good, I'm worthy of it. It looks good, and I want it. And this will advance me, but none of it's the will of God. When it crosses that line, that's the line the world functions on. Now, just to show you uh, what God means by this, I'm going to come back to 1 John, but just for a minute, go to Genesis 2, please. Old Testament and Genesis chapter 2. As we go back to the beginning here, Genesis 2, and in the beginning when he put man in the garden, look at verse 9. Genesis 2 and verse 9. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So every tree that God made was, was uh, pleasant to the sight and was good for food. It wasn't that the forbidden tree is the only one that tasted good, it's the only one that looked good. The rest were grotesque and bitter. It was they all looked good, and they all tasted good. So by itself, something good for food is not wrong. By itself, something pleasant to the eyes is not wrong. But in the case of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God gave a command because if they wanted to know something, he would tell them. And so they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Look at verse 17 of chapter 2. Or verse 16, we'll connect it. 2.16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Freedom to eat what was good for food. Freedom to enjoy the aesthetic beauty of God's creation. It was pleasant to the eyes. But the one tree that also was good for food and pleasant to the eyes was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, don't eat of it, for the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. So it wasn't the will of God for his creation to eat of it, for Adam to eat of it. But you know the story. Along came Eve, and that serpent, the devil, that rebel, that deceiver, deceived her into thinking that it would be good to disobey God and eat of it, that God was restricting her, God was ruining her life, and that she could get ahead doing it his way. And she fell for it. And look at Genesis 3 and verse 6. Genesis 3 and verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, that's the pride of life, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And you know what happened. Romans 5.12, For by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. All the misery and heartbreak and disease and death you see 
came from this act. The woman saw that the tree was good for food. Well, so were the others. But what made this one wrong? It was against the will of God. It was pleasant to the eyes. So were the others. But what made this one wrong? It was against the will of God. And she thought she'd be as God and be wise without doing it God's way and advance herself, the pride of life. And so that this world, from its entertainment, from its marketing, advertising strategy, you know without me telling you, functions on the lust of the flesh to appeal to your desires, and they don't care if it's outside the will of God or not. And the lust of the eyes that I have to have this, whether I can afford it or not, I'll steal, I'll work overtime, I'll cheat on my wife, whatever it is, it, it appeals to my eyes. And to advance self rather than let God guide you, that, 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 that I can get somewhere myself, the pride of life. And that is the way the world functions in its rebellion, so that all that is in the world is not of the Father. So as we look at this world and its mindset and its thinking, it doesn't wake up saying, what's the will of God today? The will of the Lord Jesus. How can I glorify Him? How can I get ahead? Uh, what, what looks best for what will make me happy? Uh, what will feel good? If it feels good, do it. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And none of that is of the Father. So we live in a world system that all that is in the world in that context is not of the Father. So as we examine this world system, we see its corruption, its pollution, why it must head for destruction. If you go back to 1 John 2 and see the second negative statement said about this world, second of the seven in 1 John 2. And we've talked about this already, but look at verse 17 again, statement number two. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. That's an encouragement. You're going to last longer than this world, those of you that do the will of God. <laughs> this is going to pass away. The second thing, the world passeth away. And we spent the whole last session on that. This world is temporary. Do you invest in things temporary that won't be here next week, so to speak? When you invest in this world and put your life in this world, you're putting in something that's not going to be here someday is going to be blown away in a million pieces, as we heard, and not exist someday. This world is headed for judgment and violent destruction. The world passeth away. I'm not going to say any more on that, because that was the last message. Statement number two, the world passeth away. Let's look at the third negative statement about the world in John's epistle, God's worldview. If you go to verse 1 of chapter 3, chapter 3 and verse 1, 1 John, it says this to Christians. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. I just want to stop there. We Christians, we're, the we're sons of God. That's a wonderful thing. Say, I, I belong to God. But look at the next statement in verse 1. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Third negative statement about the world, it doesn't recognize the sons of God. You say, I'm in God's family. Does anybody in the world give you that respect? They say, oh, yes, I, I see why we should do it righteous. You're a son of God. <laughs> they, they don't have a clue what you mean. I'm born again. I'm a child of God. They say, well, I'm religious too. You know, they don't know what you're talking about. And, and so they do not recognize you as a son of God. But you know, as it said here, it knoweth us not because it knew him not. The world does not have the ability because it is spiritually dead in their sins 
It doesn't have the spiritual life to understand God. So that when the Son of God came to this earth, John 1.10 records it this way, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. It goes on to say in John 1.11, He came unto His own, the Jewish people, and they received Him not, but to many as received Him. Through them gave He the power to become the sons of God. Verse 12. So you live in a world that's going to look at the sons of God and they're, they're not going to say, you're a Christian, you're a godly person. They'll say, you're a bigot, you're a racist, you, you, you're, you're, you're deny liberty. You, you, you. They'll call you all kind of names because it didn't know him. In fact, Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 2.8, speaking of their ignorance of God's wisdom. It says, had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They had no idea that was the Creator, the Lord of glory, that they hung on the cross to be condemned and to die and to hang there in nakedness and shame. They didn't realize it was Him because they had no spiritual ability to understand Him because they're dead in their sins. And so you live in a world that has no ability to know the Lord Jesus in its own mind. They don't know Him. And because they knew Him not, they don't know you either. So you live in a world that isn't going to give the sons of God the honor they're due. They don't know you because they don't know him. They are dead in their sins. They have no spiritual life. They might be chemists and scientists, and yet they are, the things of God are foolishness to them because they're spiritually discerned. They have to be born again through the Spirit of God. So you live in a world that does not know the sons of God because it didn't know him and crucified him. But look at the fourth negative word, statement about the world in 1 John. It's verse 4, I'm sorry, it's chapter 3 and verse 13. Chapter 3 and verse 13. It says, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. <laughs> if the world hate you. Sometimes they're not only not going to recognize you, they're going to hate you. Sometimes, though, in some nations, they actively put you to death and persecute you. The Lord Jesus said when he was on earth in John 15, 19, If ye were of the world, the world would love its own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. And he added in verse 20, if they have persecuted me, they will persecute you. They crucified him, and you're, you're, you're his son? The same things you represent, they're against too, you. So they persecute him, they'll persecute you, they'll hate you. The Lord Jesus said, the time is coming when he that killeth you will think he does God a service. They'll say, we're serving God, getting rid of these Christians. And in thinking they're doing God a service in their blindness, they'll end up killing you. Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, 2 Timothy 3.12. So you live in a world that doesn't only not recognize you as a son of God, at times they will end up hating you and thinking they're actually pleasing their God, whatever their imagination of their God is. I mean, you start to look in here, it's a godless world. I mean, it is corrupt. All that's in it is not of the Father. It's passing away. It doesn't recognize the son of, sons of God because it don't, didn't recognize the Son of God. And it hates him and it hates you. Go to the fifth negative world statement of God's worldview in 1 John. It's chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Make it chapter 4, okay? I jumped ahead. 1 John chapter 4 will be our fifth one. Look at verse 1 of 1 John 4. 
Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. You can't say, well, well, well everything that's religious, everything that says it knows God, you know, we love, we'll accept. You've got to test the spirits, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. This world is teeming with deceivers from the father of deceivers, Satan. It's a strategy. Not everybody tells the truth. Not everybody represents the Bible accurately. Many false prophets are in this world. You, you live in a world where there's uh, false prophets in disguise, pretending to be of Christ, and they're not. Look at verse 2. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, which ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. While the Antichrist will come, the spirit of Antichrist right now is in the world. You live in a world where there's a spirit motivating it, driving it, that is against God's beloved Son, Jesus Christ. And instead of him, it installs itself as the answer. The spirit of Antichrist permeates this world. When you look at it from God's view, there starts to be a stench and so on. And there's many false prophets. And John gives you, we have to test the spirits. Now he says, every spirit, everyone that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and those who don't is not of God. You say, well, that's fairly simple. Uh, a lot of religion says uh, Jesus is the Christ. Yes, they believe in Jesus. He's Jesus Christ. You say, well, so they all have to be of God. They mean something different by that. Let me explain. Let me show you a verse here in 1 John 5, 1. 1 John 5, 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That Jesus is the Christ. When you say Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, here's what the Bible means by that. I'm going to illustrate here I have a bottle of water, and it's good. But for tonight's purposes, this is the source of the waters in these cups. This cup, of course, has a lot of water, and this one just has a little less, and so on. This is the source. These are the vessels that contain the water. Now, they look at the Christ as the supreme God spirit out there, or whatever you want to call him, Allah, the great spirit, that's the Christ in, their, in, in the thinking of the world. And when you say Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, they don't mean that Jesus is the Christ. They mean Jesus has the Christ. In other words, he has a certain portion of this Christ consciousness, certain ability uh, to represent God, that he has this Christ, he's tapped into it. Muhammad has a certain portion, Confucius and Buddha. And even you, they will tell you, have Christ consciousness if you know how to tap into it. So when they say Jesus Christ has come into flesh, they simply mean the man Jesus was a great prophet and he has the Christ. I'll tell you what they don't mean and what the Bible does mean, and I don't know how to illustrate it. I have no way to illustrate it. You see this bottle of water? This is the source in our example tonight. To say, this is the Christ, this is the bottle. If I said, this cup of water is the bottle, you say, no, it's not the bottle, the bottle's here. <laughs> but that's what happened. The Christ, God, became a man. Not a man here that somehow tapped into Christ's consciousness that Jesus has the Christ, but Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus Christ came into flesh. 
that God is manifest in the flesh, 1 Timothy 3.16. The eternal word, the creator that was God, the word became flesh, John 1.14. So it's kind of saying that this glass is the bottle, it is the source. Well, you say it's not the bottle, but it is in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Christ, the God, took on human form. He is the Christ, not just somebody with Christ consciousness. He is the creator in human flesh. When you confess that, then that's a different story. And so people mean different terms by this. And so you live in a world that has deceivers and they slant the truth. And they'll say they, they're apostles of Christ, but they're in disguise, 2 Corinthians teaches. And so it's teeming with false prophets in the spirit of Antichrist. And they don't recognize the Son of God. They don't recognize you. And they're driven by the lust of the flesh and so on. This is the world system. Look at the sixth negative statement. Sixth negative statement here. Verse 5. Not only is the spirit of Antichrist in the world, but you look at verse 5. Speaking of the world, they are of the world. Therefore they speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Hmm. He that's of God hears us. And those that aren't of God, they're not going to listen to you. It's not going to make sense. Because the world hears those with the spirit of Antichrist. You see that in verse 5? They are of the world, therefore they speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. You see, the world is tuned in to the lie because they belong to Satan. And so you look at these places, you say, they've got to be doing something right. Look at all the thousands of people they get. And that doesn't mean everybody gets thousands of people is false, but you know what I'm saying. Right? You say, look, look, they have far more numbers than us little Christians here. Uh, I just wonder if we're doing something wrong. Maybe we need to change a few things. Beware of that thinking. You know how the world hears them? Because they're of the world. They speak their language. They're not speaking the truth of the Word of God. Yet those that are of God will hear you. And so you live in a world that's going to be tuned into the false, but when it comes to the truth, they're not going to hear it. Like there are radio stations playing tonight, and I don't hear them because I'm not tuned in. But those who are tuned in do hear them. And so you have a world that will hear the spirit of Antichrist and will not hear the spirit of truth. This is the deadness of our sins, God's worldview. And then the seventh thing, the seventh negative statement here in 1 John 5 now, you go to verse um, 19, 519. It says, and we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Huh. The whole world lieth in wickedness. Some of you will have under the control or grasp of the wicked one, that is Satan. It's in his thinking, it's in his deadness, it's in his clutches, it's, it's driven by his spirit. We sing, uh, he's got the whole wide world in his hand. Well, if you mean sovereignly as it all works out to God's plan, yes. If you mean that God is the king of this world right now, no. Satan's the god of this world. The whole world lieth in, the, in wickedness, in, in the wicked one. So this whole world is in his grasp. Now, when we start to understand God's worldview the way he does, you'll see why it's headed for destruction. It, it, it gets so corrupt, he has to judge it, just like you get rid of a garbage bag. It, you know, you don't get rid of it instantly, do you? You know, it gets to a point in our house, my wife will say, you see how full it is? You start to see how it smells. And when it gets so full, it's time for me to take it out, you see? God doesn't judge instantly. But when it gets so full, well, he has no choice but to. 
You'll say that to your children, some of you. You'll say, I've had it up to here. When you say that, they know they're in trouble. And when it gets full, the fullness of this world, then come a sudden destruction. Then come a sudden destruction. Seven negative statements in 1 John as we look into this world system and see the corruption, the pollution of this world from God's perspective. God, give us good understanding to see it the way he sees. But having said that, having said that, in the closing minutes tonight, God also has a present world plan. By the way, once he destroys it, he's going to replace us with the kingdom of God. That's Sunday morning, okay, the replacement. But I want to deal now and tomorrow with God's present world plan. God's present world plan. To help illustrate, I'm going to go back to my garbage bag. Did you ever know anybody who was a trash picker? They would reach in, they'd go through your garbage. My dad did it all the time when he was living. I'd throw something out, I'd see it on my desk the next day. I'd say, oops, you know, <laughs> what'd you throw that out, son, for you? You're wasting it. I said, it was broken. <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, they go into the trash and they see something they can, they, they can fix up. And they'll dig in that dirty trash and they'll take things out. That illustrates God's present world plan. For in this negative world, that's exactly where God sent his son. Look at 1 John 4. Look at a positive statement now. 1 John 4. And look at verse 8. 1 John 4 and verse 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him, here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins, the wrath bearer, to take our judgment. God didn't send his Son to planet Venus, where nobody's going to hurt him. He sent him into this world that we just described. And it's this world that crucified him, but it's where his son came because he so loved the world. And he wants to rescue the perishing. He wants to dip inside here and save those that are headed for destruction. And so he shed his blood on the cross and loved the propitiation for our sins. This is the love of God, not sending them some throne on Saturn, but sending them to Satan's world to be the propitiatory, the wrath bearer, the, the one who shed his precious blood for our sin as a substitutionary payment. Because God is love. And this gospel has power. Look at another positive statement about the world. Look at 1 John 5 and verse 4. 1 John 5 and verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. When you're born of God with the Spirit and with new life, you can overcome this world. You say, there's no chance in this world. I tell you, if you have God's life, you can. You can overcome it by faith. In fact, there's a verse I skipped on purpose. I want to take you back to it. Look at 1 John 4.4. 4. Look at 1 John 4.4. 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Oh, Satan has it in his clutches, but God who's in you through his Spirit when you're born again, by trusting his love in the Lord Jesus, the one that's in you is greater than the one in the world. And you can overcome this world and have victory over this world in Jesus Christ by faith. Because God has a present world plan. You know what this present world plan is? Well, first of all, it's like garbage picking, okay? 
Let, let me take you in closing in the next 10 minutes or so, maybe 12 or 13, whatever. Let me take you to Acts chapter 15, please. The book of Acts chapter 15. We're now going to go to the book of Acts to see God's present world plan. Acts 15. Just take you now down to a verse, verse 14. Acts 15 and verse 14. Verse 14. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. The Gentiles, that's the word for nations. That's what we've read about. The wrath coming on these nations someday. The worldview, the spirit of Antichrist, their blindness, their, their, their corruption, all these things we've read about, uh, God has visited the Gentiles to take out of them. He is going into this condemned world before he sends his judgment, and his program today is not politics or education, it's salvation. God's present world plan is salvation. Through the gospel of Christ, he's not changing this world. He'll do that when he replaces us. This has to be destroyed first. May we understand God's timetable. His program today is salvation. He's visiting the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And, you know, as he reaches in there, there's some filth, and there's things that are stained with sin and brokenness and all kind of messed up in their life, and they've sinned against God, and they're headed for hell. And, and he looks at these, and yet he reaches into this world, and those that respond to his gospel in the Lord Jesus Christ, he takes out of them. You know the word church. You know, some, sometimes we think that's an institution or whatever. And, uh, well, not in the Bible it's not. You know what it means? Called out ones. Church, ecclesia. Ones who have been called out. Called out of what? This present evil world. It's destruction. It's lifestyle. God has reached in with all our sin, and we do have sin, and we're headed for destruction. God has visited the Gentiles to take out of them, the word church is, is implied there, a people for his name. Well, how does he do that in all our sin? Isn't he holy? You know, 1 Timothy 1.15 puts it this way. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners into the world to save sinners from this destruction, this judgment. But he has to come into the world. He has to reach down, so to speak, with all our filth. That's what he died for. That's how he took our place in burying our sin in his own body on the tree. And he takes us out, but in taking us out, he does it through the gospel of salvation. Let's go to Acts 2 to see that gospel of salvation. Acts chapter 2. God's present world plan, he's building a church. I'm going to show you the last verse, first of all, in Acts 2. Acts 2 and verse 47. Acts 2 and verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Notice the order there. He adds to the church such as should be saved. You know how religion preaches it? If you... If you come to our church, you'll get saved. Oh. So the church gets you saved. Uh-uh. Salvation gets you in the church. <laughs> Salvation gets you in the church, not that the church gets you saved. God saves you first, and then he makes you part of this entity called his church in which he's building today. Upon this rock I will build my church, the Lord Jesus said, Matthew 16, 18. 
And it's through the program of salvation such as should be saved. Those that are saved is what makes up his church, not that those that go to church end up being saved. Those that are saved first are now part of this called-out company, his family, his body of Christ, the church. How does he do that? Hmm. Well, you go here to earlier in Acts 2. Listen to him preaching. He's preaching to some very bad sinners here, people who crucified the Lord Jesus. Huh. Can you get much worse than that than killing the prince of life? Well, they did. And here's what he says to them, to Israel. Now that he showed that God hath raised Jesus from the dead, that that crucified Christ has been risen, exalted into heaven, and God did it. And he tells the nation that crucified him in verse 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. That Jesus who you said, we don't know him, he deserves to die. They killed the prince of life. They killed the Lord Jesus, Paul said. That's a worse sin, killing Messiah. And, and, and the very one you crucified, God's made him Lord in Christ. God said, he doesn't deserve to be crucified. I raised him from the dead. He deserves to be on my right hand. He's Lord. He's Messiah. He's the Christ. God and you disagree. You might be religious, but you disagree over who Jesus is. Until you agree with God over his beloved son, you'll never be saved. Well, when they heard that, that they made a tragic error, in crucifying God's Messiah, because God raised him from the dead, look what they say here in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What do we do? We're convicted. We've sinned. You and I might say you do not. It's over. <laughs> you had your chance. You committed a sin of sins. It's judgment forever. This is a testimony that God is love and sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And Peter doesn't say it's over. Peter makes two promises in verse 38. And this is the plan of salvation. Look at verse 38, the mercy, the grace of God in this age. Then said Peter unto them, repent, change your minds, you know, turn, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The first thing this gospel promises when we turn to him by faith, repentance, faith in him, they showed it by public baptism, is the remission of sins. Let me illustrate the program of salvation. Christ crucified, the Lord of glory, bore our sins in his own body on the tree. But when we respond to that call, we don't trust in our own works. The Bible says all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6. All our good penance and charity, giving and not doing this and religious ritual, it's filth in God's eyes because we have sinned. And the only thing that takes away sin is death, the blood. Without shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Sin is that horrible. It requires death. But it has to be a perfect death, and only the Son of God is perfect. So what he does, when you trust Christ in all the sins that are on your record book, all the filth that God looks at, how can a holy God take He can't take you like that. But what he does through the program of salvation, he washes you. He washes you. In the language of the Bible, in 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, 
cleanses us from all sin. And no matter what nation you're in, how old you are, when you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved. You know? You'll be saved. In the language of Revelation 1.5, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now John sees a whole group of people in heaven. And they're from every nation on earth. They're an international group. Every tribe, kindred, language. And he says, who are these? These are they which came out of great tribulation, having washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Not in the blood of church ritual or just thinking God won't judge sin. In the blood of the Lamb. You've trusted the Christ who died for you, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you have forgiveness of sins. He now cleans you. Your record book is clean. You're not dirty anymore because the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. God is holy. You say, how could He let this trash into His heaven? Well, He changes it. He saves the trash. <laughs> when you respond to Him by faith, He calls you out of this garbage bag, this destruction coming upon this world, and saves you from its destiny of judgment and from its lifestyle of deadness, and first of all, forgives your sin. Now, that's one half of the promise. Look at verse 38 again, Acts 2.38, this offer of salvation. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. God not only takes away something, your sin, therefore you're saved from judgment. Romans 5.9, Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. I'm saved tonight. I'm never going to see destruction because I've been called out. Saved. That's what salvation means. Saved from judgment. Saved from wrath by Christ. But then it says he gives us the gift of the Holy Ghost. He not only takes something away, our sins, he adds something. God the Spirit, you're born again, comes into your heart. The language of Galatians 4, 6. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You see, he cannot give you the Holy Spirit until your sins are removed. Just like you, if I ask you for a glass of water and the glass was all dirty, would you pour clean water in a dirty glass? Mm -mm. But if the glass got clean, then you'll pour something clean in a clean glass and say, here, drink. God will not let us in our sins into heaven. He'll not put the Holy Spirit in a dirty sinner. But when you trust the Lord Jesus, he forgives your sins and then he comes into your heart. And when he does that, Here's what happens. Let me illustrate. Here's what happens. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So that a Christian, the church now, this building that he's building, which is a spiritual building, this called out group out of the nations that are headed for destruction, this Holy Spirit comes in. He gives us life and light. In the language of 2 Corinthians 4, 6, it puts it this way. But God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts also to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So that a Christian is somebody that has God's life and light in him. And you know, when you get born again, you'll say, I see it now. I understand the Bible. He loves me. I understand this. You've got a living life in you that gives you light. His light has shined in you. You've come from darkness to light. And you're under the blood of Christ. So that a Christian uh, looks something like this, uh, that, you, that your, uh, your sins are taken away. You, you're, 
uh, you're under the blood, loose from all your sins. But the gift of the Holy Ghost is in you because you're clean. And so a believer, unlike the world and all their brokenness and all their filth uh, and their dead reasoning and their crushedness of life, no, a believer is clean, not because of themselves, because of the Lord Jesus. Huh? And, and a believer is under the blood, and therefore the Spirit has come in. And we, you know, the Son of God has come to give us an understanding that we might know Him. We start to know our God and have a relationship and communion with Him. And no matter what nation you're in, no matter what your age, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you'll be builded together in that spiritual building called the church. It's the greatest place you can be in. It's not a physical building. It's a spiritual building. And it's the body of Christ. And every member in the body of Christ is for under the blood of Christ. And they're clean and there's no judgment. And they have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they have life and light inside them. <laughs> they have life and light, light inside them. And I'll put it in the right one. And there they are. And he builds together this body called the church, the called out ones. And there we stand as this represents the church of which the Bible teaches in the book of Ephesians of which the risen Christ Jesus is the head. He's the head of all of us merged together as the church, everyone clean from every nation and tongue, everyone with the light and life of Christ in them so that we can know God and start to understand Him and have a relationship with Him. And so we're, we're not headed for destruction again much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. This is not our destiny. Our destiny is salvation. Unto them that look for him shall he appear a second time without sin unto salvation, Hebrews 9, 28. And so the great program today, brothers and sisters, for this world, we've got to remember its problem is destruction. Its future plan is destruction. And God's answer for this world today, his present program, is not reform, is, is not renovation, it's salvation. And the church alone possesses that message. May God encourage you. That's what he's doing today. We're going to find out before this series is done, Lord willing, that there is a replacement restoration coming. There's a new world coming. But it won't happen through man. It happens through that stone without hands. All God is doing today in His love is building a church for that future day. Now, what is the church all about? What is our calling? Well, that's tomorrow. Why are we here? What is this present plan? The fourfold calling of the church, this redeemed body with Christ as the head, cleansed and with the Holy Spirit in us. What is our calling? What is the plan on earth today with the church? Well, Lord willing, that's tomorrow, then Sunday morning. There's coming a day, destruction will come, and He'll remove this. And he's going to replace it with the kingdom of God. What's that all about? Well, Sunday morning, okay, if we're still here. We're going to close in prayer. Thanks for your patience tonight. and Ask God to bless his word. Give you good understanding. If you're not saved, have you come to the Lord Jesus? If you're still in here, it's destruction. But if, you, he's, if you'll call upon the name of the Lord, he'll take you out of this world. He'll cleanse your sin because Christ died for you. He'll come into your life and change you into a holy person. And you'll be part of his church, part of salvation, not destruction. What a gospel we have because God so loved the world. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we close in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, just help us to take in thy word and to believe thy word tonight. 
that it is headed for destruction. May we not be enamored with it and invest in it and go along with it, but rather have no fellowship with it and rebuke the unfruitful works of darkness. And if we're not saved, may we believe that judgment is around the corner for us, whether we die first or here when the Lord comes back. And Lord, but, there, but salvation is offered first. And through the Lord Jesus, that they'll call on him, he promised they'll be saved because he died for their sins and lives again. And to encourage thy church tonight in the program for this world that thou hast given to us, the gospel of Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation. We just ask you to bless in a way we can, to work in hearts, thanking thee for thy son, thanking thee for those of us that are saved, that we're, we're not headed for destruction. We're in the church, salvation. What a blessed place to be in Christ. And so we close and look to thee with thanksgiving in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.